Hello, imperfect listeners. It's your host, Luke West, back with another episode where we discuss masculinity and manhood more intentionally and purposefully. This week's guest is Dwight Heck, founder of Give a Heck Financial. Uh, but more importantly, or not actually even more importantly, um, but in terms of the conversation that we have, he is a single dad of five children, four being daughters. For that reason, I thought he was a really fascinating person to talk to about raising daughters and fatherhood in general. So in this episode, some of the things we discuss are what it's like to be a single father, the stigma behind it, the importance of empathy and listening, how to have important conversations with your daughters as a single father, and if he faced any extra pressure to be a better man as a single father to primarily young women. Make sure to connect with Dwight on Instagram at giveaheck, on Facebook at Dwight R. Heck, or check out his website, giveaheck.com. I've linked all of them in the description box below too. If you like this episode, please make sure to press subscribe, follow, leave a review, message me on Instagram at The Imperfect Pod, email me at luke at theimperfectpod.com, join my Facebook group. Again, all those linked in the description as well. I always want to continue the conversation and hear from my audience. I hope you enjoy this episode because it's really good. Dwight, heck, I am very excited for you to be with me today. Uh, we're going to have a very fascinating conversation uh, about what it's like to be a single father, parenting five children, four being daughters. But before we get into that, the first question I always ask my guests is, who is one person, dead or alive, that you would like to have over for dinner, and what would you cook for them? Um, who would I have over that, dead or alive? I would probably like to have over Les Brown. He's alive. He is somebody that I've admired and followed now for 27 years. What would I cook for Les? I'd probably cook for him. Um, geez, that's a great question. What would I cook for Les? I know what my favorite meals are. I'm trying to think of what would Les like. I don't know. Maybe I'd make what my kids call my famous, they call it the heck Chinese food. And all it is is I, I make up from scratch a sweet and sour chicken dish. I make some fried rice. I make veggies and just my own creation of Chinese food. And my kids have grown up and even as adults, they if they come over, they want me to make it. So if they like it, maybe Les will like it. So that's what I'd make for Les, a sweet and sour chicken and some fried rice. Beautiful. Veggies. I think I'm having that for dinner tonight, actually. I think my dad got Chinese takeout. So I am excited. Right on. <laughs> so that's well, when, when you're a dad of a bunch of single, a single dad of a bunch of kids, you don't eat out a lot because mm. you, you got to take time value of money. You got to, if I can make a meal for them and it costs me $20, that's $20. You take them all out, you're looking at a hundred dollars. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. I just got to a point where they liked mine better. We stopped ordering in any Chinese food. I just yeah. ate it all the time. Right. So. Well, I remember growing up, we, mm-hmm. uh, I, my dad was the only one that worked for the most of my life growing up and we didn't order out that much either. Like my friends are always shocked that I've never been to like the keg or really any fancy restaurant. I'm like, I never went. If we got takeout, it was like Swish LA or kind of more something on the cheaper side than, which now it's not cheap, but back then I think it was of the cheaper options. So I like that. Yeah. <laughs> that, that. That's an interesting take though. So 
you, as you alluded to, as I talked about, uh, you're a single father to five children. And I'm really interested now in that kind of time concept of, of money. And, and how did, we'll talk about you being a single father first. Um, how did that play into your parenting style, your availability, your time with them? Because a lot of the time when we think of single parents, it's the mother. Um, that's the way society seems to be right now. So what is your take and, and perspective and opinion on that? Um, well, if you, cause you alluded to the fact of the finance, like the time value with five kids and only one income, I had to be very conscientious about money and single women parents so to have to be the same way. Obviously, money is a big concern because without money, the lack of money creates people to live in what's called, I call quiet desperation. You lay in bed at night or you can be doing it in your waking hours and you're thinking about how are you going to pay for this for your children? They want extracurricular activities. Oh my gosh, I hope they don't open up their backpack and there's a note in there that I got to give $25 or $30 for a field trip, knowing that that was a struggle. It wasn't that I didn't have the ability to make good money because I'm six-figure income, but all of a sudden now you're a single parent and everything that the kids want and need is falling on your shoulders. Thus, you know, you have a huge responsibility you don't want to stress them out about money. So you internalize, you hide things. I got to a point where I, I didn't do that. I would teach my kids the difference between needs and wants. And I'd say to them, is that a need or is that a want? Now, if it's a need, we'll figure out how to fit it into our already stretched budget because many months I wouldn't be able to work as often as I needed to because I had so many kids to chase around to school, to extracurricular events and stuff. And the next thing you know, you'd have more months than money. Mm. So as a single parent, whether you're male or female, you still feel that big time. And it's the time constraint, uh, you know, just always about money. So I'd have one child needing to go to gymnastics, one go to soccer, one go to, you know, uh, cheerleading at school and then I have to pick them up from schools because they didn't all go to the same schools obviously different age categories and yeah it was it's it's a character building experience knowing that you always have to watch every single penny but it's also a very um, great experience as well because it teaches you the time value of money that every dime matters so, you know, you're not going to take that person out for a meal because it's going to cost a hundred bucks when you know that hundred dollars can feed you for the next five days. Mm -hmm. Right. So yeah. you got to learn that value, whether you're male or female as a male, maybe males aren't necessarily, it's not prevalent in our thought process, but uh, you know, that's what people would think, but that's not the case. I have uh, coach in 18 years of being in finance there's lots of single parents that are women and men. They both fall into the same category. It's just a human condition. We don't understand the rules of the money game. We spend money ridiculous. We don't consciously think that $100 can feed for five days or let's have that feel good experience and take everybody out for supper. You feel good initially because you're all having a great time and then the hard reality of that money being gone and now you might have more months than money. Right. So you start to be, I've started becoming more cognizant, teaching mm -hmm. others the same thing. And 
Yeah, it's something that we definitely have to understand as a time value of money and, and what is the value of our money? And do we want to struggle and have that more months of money and sleep in quiet desperation all the time? Am yeah. I saying that you won't? No, you will. You will have those nights where you're going to sleep in quiet desperation. But if you live a structured life of understanding your time value of money through budgeting, those nights are less than more. Yeah. And, and as a young guy, I don't budget enough. I do my best. I, I have good, I have decent financial practices. I put away half of my uh, bill into like a TF, a TFSA, which is nice. But um, I also ha- live at home and I don't uh, rent right now and I don't pay for rent. So I'm living a good life right now as I'm still young. So I'm trying to learn a lot of those different processes. Um, so you talked a little bit there about having to serve the the needs and the wants and, and doing all the extracurriculars. And I know my parents, I mean, they, they were two of two parents to four children and it was tough getting all of us around. How did you have like a network support system of other parents of other friends that were supportive of you in your single fatherhood? Or was that a challenge for you? And, and was that kind of looked down upon? It was a challenge at first um, because Again, as you alluded to earlier, the stigma of a single parent being a man. So, you know, necessarily even people that talked to me when I was still married, all of a sudden weren't there for me. You know, they'd avoid me. They'd be across the street at the school and, or they'd walk across on the other side of the hall if they'd see me. People that would used to communicate with me. Um, so it was a struggle at first until... I opened up and I started talking to other parents that were in similar circumstances, you know, single parents, or maybe they had been shunned for other reasons by the schools or extracurricular parents. So I started creating my own little tribe of people. And there was married couples that were very supportive of me right through the whole process from being married to some of them even more supportive after I got divorced because they understood that I was the the calm, not the storm in their relationship. So they wanted to support me and, you know, I text them, call them, say, Hey, you know, I'll take the kids this night to dance or to this. Will you do this night? And this is why I have this going on. So I did um, actually work to create a a tribe or a group of uh, people that were like-minded and wanted to serve and help one another. Otherwise I would have never been able to make it. I wouldn't have been able to survive even getting even clothing for my kids. Cause there were so many of them. I get, uh, you know, hand-me-downs from my one sister and from friends that get stuff given to for the kids. It was just a support network of people that, so it was well beyond just giving them rides to extracurricular. It was, Hey, you know, I'm short on food. I'd get people get dropping off food. I'd get people mm-hmm. dropping off, you know, clothing. And, you know, it wasn't that we were charity case. We, we would have always survived, but I had a tribe of people that were there to support me, whether it was on a, some food, clothing, or giving a child a ride, or I getting caught up somewhere, picking up another kid, and I had to, like a, a loop of three, four kids to pick up sometimes. It would be ridiculous how busy I'd be, and I'd reach out and call that person and say, hey, you know, you're picking up your son, your daughter, or both, or whatever from this. Can you grab 
this one kid and bring them home. I'd really appreciate it. And it took a while. It wasn't something I don't want the listeners to think that it happened overnight. I had to put effort into it. I had to create those connections and those relationships. I'd say probably took about three, four years Mm. for it to, to have a good network of people that were always there to support me. And then I'd support them back the same way, obviously, and the same things that I mentioned if they were struggling. Do you think that, because obviously there's there's challenges for both single fathers and single mothers. Do you think that challenge, that stigma of not really having that community afterwards is the same for single men? And if not, why not? I think it's worse for men because of the stigma, as you mentioned, because you know we're raised in a society where they don't feel men can be nurturing or can do the right things to raise children they're taught to be the breadwinners they're taught to be the alpha they're taught to be the person that protects provides and the women are taught to be stuck in a kitchen barefoot and pregnant and raise the kids and and if they go to a job uh, they still have to come home and do all the same things that a woman woman isn't you know laid out to do and a man's laid out to do and so there was tons of stigma around the fact of what would I be able to accomplish that? And I used to hear stuff from people quite often about the fact that you need to get into a relationship. You need to find yourself a good woman to help you raise those kids. And, and I, you know, I used to get very distraught and then I started getting upset at people. And I just basically would say, you know, just because a woman can have a baby doesn't mean they're a better parent than me. Their circumstances of how they raised help them become a good parent. The circumstances of how I raised can help me be a good parent. Do I take the challenge on? Do I take on the blessing of having kids and be that parent, whether I'm male or female? Was I perfect? No. Did I have conversations with women about things I wasn't sure about? Absolutely. Did I always take their advice? No. Some of it was completely whacked out. It wasn't because they were women. It's just because they were raised a different way or they had different life experiences that didn't resonate with who I was. I learned to be that compassionate dad to listen to my kids. I was not perfect, still not perfect, but they still reach out to me all as adults to, for my advice and to ask me questions, to get, you know, some uh, solace if they're suffering. And how did I do all that? Trial and error, just like life. Mm. Like be real. Just because a woman is a woman can have babies and she has a baby. You talk to first time moms, they don't have the book of how to raise that baby or to what's going to happen any more than a man would. It's trial and error. They get a bunch of innuendo and a bunch of outside influences of how they should do things with their children, but they still have to figure it out, right? They still have, or they should figure it out, right? You you don't want to raise, if, if you're always raising your children, women or men based on the opinions and advice of others, that's sad. Right. You need to eventually so take all of that information, culminate it in your brain, and then come up with a strategy that fits you and how you want to raise your kids. But I constantly got treated differently because I was a male and a and a female dominated uh thought process that they're the only ones that make a good parent, mm-hmm. which is completely asinine yeah. as far as I'm concerned. And I have quite a few friends that are 
single dads and uh, another friend of mine that just launched a podcast actually specifically all about stepdads and, and, and uh, the single parent condition. Right. So. Yeah. And I'm really curious in terms of some of the, some of the takeaways, some of the things that you tell fathers right now, you know, cause I think there is still that stigma that, men are the the providers financially what does provider mean typically in that case of a man it means financial it doesn't mean caretaking because those are both technically ways of providing what what is some advice that you would give to young men about being a father in a nurturing way in a compassionate way in an empathetic way to your children that maybe society isn't telling them to be uh, how can they be nurturing and empathetic it isn't as easy as, you know, uh, uh, that people might think because in order to be nurturing and empathetic to your children, you have to be doing that already to others. Mm. And so if you're not that type of person, you're listening to this thinking that it's hopeless, it's not hopeless. You need to surround yourself with associations, which just aren't people people obviously are their key thing in associations, but start reading and ingesting different things that there's tons of books out there on how to raise kids as a single person, right? So as a man, your question was about empathy and, you know, how can you nurture them? Listen, listen to them. Don't try to be the fixer that society wants men to be. They try it. Society puts us up on a pedestal and says, you man, you fix. And we hear that our whole lives. Don't cry. Little boys don't cry. Men don't cry. Don't show your emotions. Be stoic, stoic, right? Be all firm. And that's the wrong way to raise any child, especially girls. Girls, you know, love girls. Obviously, (laughs) I got four daughters. But there was challenges. I had to learn to listen to empathize with them. And my superpower is empathy. I realized that 20 some years ago, and I've worked on that consistently. So your listening skills as a single dad are imperative. Listen, don't try fixing. And if you think that you're going to, if they're talking to you, you need to start to realize sometimes they don't want an answer. They just want you to listen, bite your lip, bite the inside of your cheek. I did it lots. And then just listen. Sometimes all they need to do is just get all that angst that they have inside of them, that anguish. And my son did it too. But my girls obviously were, were more emotional about it, and which is not a bad thing. Emotions are a good thing, right? We just mm-hmm. need to learn how to control them and how to utilize them for good, not necessarily manipulation and control. So I just listened to them. And sometimes I'd stick my foot in my mouth. I'd end up answering and giving him a, well, this is how you should do when I should have just shut the hell up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know, I didn't. So, you know, piece of advice, you want to nurture, you want to have empathy for your kids, girls or boys, learn to listen, learn not to try to fix it. Because the more you try to fix it and try to also not judge them for what they're telling you, just you know, learn, practice in the mirror if you have to, learn to keep that poker face so that you don't go, oh, what? You did that? <laughs> you know, yeah. you got you to gotta learn. Being a parent, there's no freaking manual. We're a working project. Even as an, a, a parent of all adult kids now, I constantly have to practice to listen, to not fix, 
Now, if they come at me and they say this, blah, 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 and I'm, and I'm acknowledging them and, and I'm being empathetic and they say, well, what do you think, dad? Well, guess what? The floodgates are open. You just give me the opportunity and they were taught that. If you don't, if you want me to give you advice or my take on it, dad, what do you think? What would you do, dad? Right? And if they don't say that, bite inside of your cheek, bite your lip and just shut the heck up and listen to them talk because that's what they need. Give them what they need, not what you think they need. Yes. If that makes sense. Don't be the fixer be the person they need. And now that's why as I worked on that throughout their whole lives and now they're all adults, that's why they still reach out to me. All mm-hmm. five of them. Not one of my kids doesn't reach out to me. for. Do, I, do they share everything with me? Absolutely not. Sometimes they'll come to me, uh, Luke, it's kind of funny. I'll have one of them call me up and say, I've had this going on, blah, 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 blah. I go, oh, yeah. Oh, we should have brought it up to you sooner, dad, you know after we talk and have a discussion about it because they'll want my input. They'll specifically ask for it. Why don't they? Because I'm still their dad. (laughs) I mean, sometimes they just, they have to trip and fall and get up and dust themselves off as kids. And they have to do the same thing as adults. And then they realize as we age, kids realize that their parents' advice, if they're obviously were a good parent, which I believe I was, my kids say I was, and I, that I still am, they're going to come to you when the timing's right, mm-hmm. right? Just be ready to always listen and input only when they ask. Yeah. It's so funny that you said that too, because I've seen a lot of jokes, memes on the internet, uh, videos about how men are typically... They want to be people that offer solutions. So when a woman's venting to them, they'll be like, quick, okay, let's go. Let's, here's an answer. Here's a problem. Just cut that friend out of your life. And women will then kind of say, oh, like, you know, I just want you to listen. I'm just trying to vent. I'm not trying to make these actual steps. I just want you to listen. And because guys get too, too focused on fixing and women, like the way they go about solving problems sometimes is a bit different and neither it's society or uh, genetics, but like even me, it's like, I don't, I'm, I'm more of like a take action person and I've had to train myself to, you know, stop offering advice when it's not asked because I used to do that and then I get mad at them and it would ruin relationships when I tried to do that because I'd be mad at them for not doing what I think is right rather than just supporting them through it. And I've had to learn since high school. I mean, I'm still young, so I still got a lot to learn. Um, but it was funny how uh, you, you brought that up and tied that in. Cause I think it's, I think it's so important for men. Cause I don't think empathy doesn't come as naturally to me as I know as, as it maybe should. Cause I'm like, if you have a problem, just fix it. Stop trying to dwell on it. So that's where I have a real problem and something I continually try to work on. You're going to be working on it your whole life, brother. <laughs> I, I'm serious. Till the yeah. day I take my last breath, I'm going to continually work on being the best version of me. And I'm going to have days where I'm going to put my foot in my mouth and I'm going to have to wash it down with a glass of water. And that's just reality. If we constantly seek perfection or think we've arrived, that's a problem, right? Because we can never uh, never amass to be perfect at at anything when it comes to dealing with the human condition are how we are thinking that day, the emotions we're feeling affect how we're going to deal with somebody when they're venting. 
and they need somebody to just listen and we're just not in the right headspace. That's another thing we, we need to do is be able to check ourselves out, take a time out when somebody needs us to vent to, to be honest and say, you know what, I'm not in the right headspace right now. I, and I do that with my kids as adults too. I'll say that now. And I never used to, I used to, used to, and then my response to them, if they did ask for advice or my body language would be necessarily not from what they were saying, it was because of what I was currently experiencing. And had I just checked myself out and been honest with them, we could have talked hours later when I was in a better headspace or maybe a day later. Now, obviously if it's an urgent situation, that's a different circumstance. You might have to just check your shit aside and, and deal with help deal with them. But that's not always possible either. So it's okay to time yourself out. Mm-hmm. Honestly, it is. It doesn't matter what age you are. And just say, hey, Luke, brother, I, you know, I know you're going through a tough time, but I've had the most character building day to day or the last two days. I just can't be there for you. I really am sorry, Luke. Mm. I'd rather somebody or myself do that to others than to sit there, listen to Luke. And I got all my things going on. I'm really not paying attention to Luke. Everything's churning inside. And my response to Luke, when he says, well, what do you think is based on my angst or what I'm going through? And then I'm just doing a disservice to Luke. Mm. So, so uh, that, that brings me to an interesting question is how much as a parent, whether this is single or not single, single, do you share with your children about the stresses kind of going on in your life? When did you open up a bit more about some of the vulnerabilities that you had as a single parent? Like when did you start That's sharing those? Great with, with question. That's a great question. Nobody's asked me that. That is a fantastic question. So here's my answer to that. At about, the girls were different than, than boys because when they talk about maturity levels, it is so true. Mm. You know, and I'm going to use an example of why they have ratings on TV shows and why they have ratings on music. Why do they have that? They have panels of parents that started most of this stuff that they found that the mental uh, ability of kids at a certain age to digest and interpret information can be good but it also can be extremely harmful, right? Why parents let their kids watch R-rated movies and listen to R-rated music when they're like nine, 10 years of age is beyond me. Their mind cannot cope. And it actually stuntles, stunts part of me. They've proven it. Psychologists, psychiatrists have proven it actually stunts the mental growth of people. So to answer your question, when did I start sharing? It depended on their age. So like, you know, people will say, well, why does such and such, you know, you've told them this stuff. They're only two years difference than me. Well, two years, even one year, I have two daughters that are only 13 months apart. Even that was, it was, there was different things that I would share with the older of the two than I'd share with the younger because that one year and their mental maturity is huge. Mm. So I was vulnerable to them. You know, was I perfect? No. So what would I share with a daughter that was 16 versus a daughter that was 12 is hugely different. I had to gauge things, make mistakes, sometimes realize, oh crap, I shouldn't have shared that with them because now it's, you know what I mean? So the older kids, I learned lessons that the, that helped out the younger kids. Right. So my oldest that's 34 now, she was, you know, between her and, uh, and the youngest, there's a lot of age difference. He's 21. She's 34. Mm. So, you know, did I, did I screw up on some things parenting her? Absolutely. 
Did I get better by the time I hit the last? Absolutely. And anywhere in between. So I'd figure out certain things. And I started using the same sort of gauge. And I used that gauge of TV shows, whether it's PG-13 or, uh, or you know, you look at music, it's mature rated. And I, I started thinking to myself, well, these people must know stuff. And I did research some of these parent groups and how they come up with parental ratings on music and movies and TV. And I realized, hey, they might there's a bunch of like-minded people that got together and figured out shit. Why am I trying to reinvent the wheel? So I started applying some of those same age, age thought processes on what I was going to share. And, you know, as my kids have become adults, I share way more with them. They'll say to me, well, you know, we didn't know anything about that dad. Why didn't you tell us when, when we were younger? Cause you couldn't have grasped it when you were younger. Yeah. Now you can because you're older. There's stuff that my older kids know that my, even my youngest, who's 21, I haven't shared with you yet because he's still evolving. You're, you're, a, a male's mental maturity doesn't happen until 24 to 25. It's been proven. A woman's 23 to 24. It's about a year to two years sooner. So the, obviously, there's certain things that I don't want to stunt even his mental maturity, right? So mm-hmm. as a parent, I think about all that and I've had to learn it. Yeah, and I, I'm still still a working project. Yeah, because that think answered it, your question. No, I think it helps a lot because that's something that I've been figuring out a lot too with my parents is as I've gotten older and I've lived at home now, I find out a few more things here and there about my family or their family and, and my life. Like I interviewed my dad for this podcast back in September, which was really interesting. And that was the most I ever learned about his life. And so many things started adding up because I asked him about his childhood and I'm like, oh, I, I see things now of why you parent a certain way or your your strategy now. So I was really curious because I think it is true. And as I've grown, I'm the youngest of four and I see how my parents have changed their styles since my brother is the oldest. Then there's two sisters in between. I see how they see that they've made mistakes with my brother that they wouldn't make with the youngest one now. And obviously there's, there's things there that affect the, the communication or, or the relationships. But I, I feel like I've become more attuned to that as I've gotten older and I'm 24 now. So my brain is, Almost finished completing uh, its maturity. <laughs> completing its cycle. <laughs> yeah, finally. I, I Finally there. That's why, you know, and that's, I learned, I got married just before, like literally a month before, maybe two months before I turned 24. And that's why the more I learn, the more I wish young people wouldn't wait until they're in their mid-20s before they ever decide to get married or to get into even a serious relationship. I know it's difficult, but I look at the mental maturity of myself and how I evolved and how I thought when I was 23 going to 24 and realizing years later that it was a giant mistake, right? Not mm. the person was a mistake. The decision to get married and not be you know, mature enough, I would have made a different choice at 26, 27. I wouldn't have gotten married because I would have had that much more mental maturity. And, um, you know, the six inches between my ears would have helped me make a better decision based on my long-term game plan of what I wanted for, for life. And I would have realized by then that we were completely polar opposites. And unfortunately, a lot of what 
young people get together with and they get into relationships and get married is focused on the wrong things. It's not focused on the mental relationship. It's based on a physical relationship. And that wears off. And then all of a sudden, when you really get to know the person and it's not based on the physical contact between one another and it's based on conversation and relationships and communication, it falls apart. And trust me, I've 18 years of dealing with clients and even on the finance side, I hear the good, bad and the ugly. I experience it. And a lot of it has to do with that maturity factor and the fact that we think differently as we get older and we focus too much when we're younger on that physical contact as opposed to, you know, you, you tolerate the cat being left off the toothpaste. We'll use that analogy. One of the most famous analogies that wouldn't bother you because you're, you're got that physical contact. You're getting your, your one side of your needs fulfilled. All of a sudden, six months, nine months, they call it the romance phase. It wears off. Now those things that you used to find cute or funny or irritating is all get up and you want to, you know, strangle one another and you've never learned to communicate and really get to know one another. You find, start finding out that when you do have conversations that their thought process, whether it's male or female, it doesn't matter, doesn't resonate with you. It's not the same. You find out that your value systems are just completely skewed. And what happens? You start avoiding one another, your relationships fall, fall apart, and hopefully you don't have a bunch of kids. Or if you do, you're willing to suck it up and be the parent that the kids deserve because they didn't ask for all that crap. And that was my circumstance. Mm. Yeah. I love how that you said you took ownership of it. Accountability. It's like, it's, it's now, a lot of families seem to use children as, or when it, the divorce happens, a lot, a lot of it seems to be that children are used as uh manipulation or, or tools to get the way their way. And it's like, you should never bring your children into it. That's why I always say if there's one thing I want in the world, it's happy families. That, that doesn't mean uh, that they can't, the parents can't, can't divorce, but it just like, if it does happens amicably, there's still love there if possible um, to show them that that can work out. But obviously that can't happen. That, that can't be my wish, but I like, that would be, the one thing I wish would have is that there's just a healthy environment for them to see and witness when they grow up. It's really a struggle though in most breakups because as you mentioned, children are used as tools. My kids were used as tools all the time and they'll tell you that wasn't me. Uh, it, I, that's not how I was raised. That's not how I was wired to not put them. I used to say to people all the time, and they'd say, why do you do this for your kids? And why don't you do that for them? And blah, 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 blah. And you know what? They didn't ask for me to get divorced. They didn't ask for me to have a failed marriage. They didn't ask for me to, you know, not having really, what's the word? Um, when you spec somebody out or you check them out or you, you know, you, yeah, I bet. It's not their fault that I didn't vet my relationship better because most of us in society, women are just as bad. Again, it's that physical connection. It's not based on the relationship and the emotional connection. Everything's all romance and lovey-dovey and let's get it on. Let's do this. Let's go hang out. It's, it's, and they didn't ask for any of that. They asked for the shelter, love, care, food, Things that I could provide, the emotional aspect, need to work on, and I continually worked on it and got pretty good at it, right? Again, I do, and I still work in project, 
but yeah, the kids do not ask for divorce. They don't ask for breakup, right? Mm-hmm. They just, they don't. And they're the ones that end up becoming what my kids would call themselves. They call themselves suitcase kids because mm-hmm. they were right. Initially I, my, my, uh, their mom, my ex had joint custody. Eventually she lost it. And then they were full time here and they loved, they actually liked it. Most kids, if they're honest, do not like being going from one, two weeks there, two weeks there, or one week, one week, one week, one week, or every other weekend or, you know, Wednesdays. Like I, I did it all and mm. they don't like that. And as they get older, that's why most teenage kids pick a place. They pick a place to stay. And sometimes some of them, depending on how many kids will stay with the dad, some will stay with the mom. Usually the ones that'll stay with one parent over the other is because that one parent has no rules or let them get away with stuff, let them do whatever they want. I had a child like that out of the five. Mm. And that child would get upset because of the consistency and structure and take off to their moms. And she would stay there and then she would come back, right? Because no consistency, no food on the table at a consistent time, struggling to get to the extracurricular stuff, or maybe wouldn't get there, maybe wouldn't get to school on time, maybe wouldn't have a lunch. And I'm not exaggerating. All those things I mentioned, I provided consistently, mm-hmm. lovingly, but I also had a firm hand and there was discipline. There was ex- expectations and you know, some kids don't like that stuff. So, yeah. and if you have a bad relationship with your ex, ours wasn't bad, but it wasn't great either. You know, I did whatever I had to, to keep her happy, but eventually I didn't have to anymore because everything was about her personal life and the kids were used as a tool. Right. Yeah. And, and I'm curious, what, what do you do to make or, or create positive women, female role models for your daughters. Did you have to actively do that for them? Was that part of your process? Cause I would like, I always think that it's, it's really important that even if there's no mother involved or no, uh, as you mentioned, you didn't get into a new relationship that it's important to have some sort of mentorship or guidance there. Like, was that important to you? Did you do that for them? Um, what was kind of your thought process there? I didn't go out and look for it. I did try you know, being in relationships. Um, And then, like I said earlier, people would want me to get, you know, you need a woman in your life to raise those girls and blah, blah, blah. And the more bad advice I got from people that would say stupid ass shit like that to me, because it is stupid ass, it's dumb. Um, The more I didn't seek out the female opinion, because that word is key, their opinion, how are they raised? Were they raised in a healthy, nurturing environment? Are they taking that broken ass crap from their childhood into teenage to adulthood? And what's their life? If I was to open up the door of their life and look inside, would I like what I see? Are they a good, are they a good parent, whether they're female or male? So no, I didn't hmm. seek out women's opinions because honestly, even family and some friends, and I have a lot of female family, a lot of female friends, they were effed up, I guess to put it bluntly. They didn't necessarily weren't doing and parenting the way they, I thought they should. I had my idea of what a parent should be. I seen the strengths and weaknesses of how my parents raised me. I realized what I didn't like and I realized what I like. So I've treated life since my early twenties, like a buffet. 
you go to a buffet, do you eat everything at the table? You might take a little bit to try a certain things and then there's obvious things you don't like and then you then there's things you like and you're going to go take other helpings of it, right? And that's just the way it is. I treat, I take what I like, I leave what I don't and that's the same thing with raising my kids. I didn't find that I needed to have a woman to validate my parenting skills. Mm-hmm. I had to have confidence in the fact of how they were doing in school. How, how are they re- relating to one another as siblings? How are they relating to their, to their friends, whether it was at school or extracurricular? Was I, getting, was, was I hearing whispers on the phone? Was somebody calling me and saying this and this is going on? And I just took all that information and I applied things, realizing I sometimes made a mistake. And I was always humble enough that I would apologize to my kids and say, you know what? I handled that situation wrong. I disciplined you the wrong way, or I could have dealt with this circumstance different that you see me deal with yesterday or last week. This is how I should have held, worked with it. You know, just be humble, be mm-hmm. honest, work through things. Yeah. Um, and now I want to kind of go to the hard conversations of the parenting, which is, I mean, like there's, there's, these ideas of what a father should teach their son of, of how to date or sex or, and then in a woman's life, it's the mother who does that. What was your approach with everything feminine, womanly in their life? Like, did you just suck it up and say, I have to do this as the, as the only parent or what was your approach to having more of those real hard conversations with your daughter about growing up sexually in their feminine and their, in their womanhood? That's a great question. I, you know, I had those tough conversations with them. Um, when I knew they were out being sexually active, I had to talk to, you know, I did have those, some of them accepted it. Other ones would be like, dad, I don't want to talk to you about that sort of thing. And I'd say, fine, we don't have to have a discussion then just listen to what I'm going to tell you. It's for your, it's, it's for you to make that decision whether or not you're going to do it or you're going to take what I uh, offer up, but we still need to discuss it. And I'm sorry it makes you feel uncomfortable, right? But we need to talk about it. And sometimes I had to have those difficult conversations about, you know, oh, you're, you have your monthly um, cycle. You know, this is your first time. And I had to have those discussions with four daughters and I'd have to go out and buy the feminine products. I'd be the dad where they'd be calling me saying, Hey dad, you're on the way home. I didn't realize this was going to happen. I need this. Okay. And then we talk about it. Well, you know what? You need to start tracking it. And in the future, let's buy you extra. So you don't Mm -hmm. run into that difficult situation where I'm having to, you know, rush home because you have nothing or you're at school and I have to bring you something. And I try to just use common sense. Like, you know what, if you, Oh, I want to bake this cake and I didn't have any sugar. Well, maybe you should have some extra sugar. Well, you know what I mean? It may sound stupid, but it's true. Have extra, right? You have kids that are four daughters. Make sure I have extra feminine products for them. Make sure I have, Oh, you know, they go into my cabinet. I had it in my, I have it in my bedroom. Hey, dad, 
ran out of shampoo. Okay, go in the cabinet. There's some there. I bought it. There's all, you know, there was always extra. I learned that through the school of hard knocks that you don't want to run out of stuff like that. And then especially when it's an emotional thing with girls, you want to make sure they have those feminine products because it's already embarrassing enough with the peer pressures of life to have to go to school. And I'd remind him, Hey, you know, make sure you have stuff in your locker, make sure you have stuff in your purse, you know? So I didn't really look up. I just, I didn't really reach out to people that say, Hey, what do I do? I was a lot of, a lot of parenting, even with girls with their female problems and talking about questions about sex, you know, Hey, if you're going to play the game, you got to be willing to pay the price. I used to say that to them, those exact words. Mm. So you need to think about if you're, you know, you're, you know, would they always admit it? Not really, but I'd still have that open discussion and say, Hey, make sure my son, especially you don't want to be that guy that's knocking up that girl that goes home to her parents and you get off scot-free because that's another thing society's done, which is completely a, a BS. You know, and I did have a couple kids that had had kids as kids, mm. and the man gets to escape. You're the one that's dealing with all the aftermath of the pregnancy, the the baby being born, supporting that daughter, whereas the 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 person that had the fun to create that that baby is living at mom and dad's house and maybe the relationship's not there anymore and they're out screwing around and creating even more babies. You know what I mean? So I just took things into my own hands and told my son, you make sure you wrap that little, <laughs> wrap that thing because you don't want to be doing what's happened to our life. Mm. Do you? No, you're right, dad. And I would, I would never be ignorant about it. I just say, you see what we've gone through right? So you learn from what we've gone through and don't put another family through that, right? If you do, bad on you, terrible, right? And the girls, they used to say to them, you know, you know, it's such and such, she had a kid and look what she struggled with. She's living at home with her mom and dad or living at home with her, you know, single parent and look how they're struggling and they're not emotionally available to have their own life together yet now they have a child that relies on them uh, and it's do you you don't really want that right you need to make sure you're you're taking precautions right mm -hmm. yeah birth control whatever did they listen always no obviously not or I wouldn't have had a couple kids of the five that had kids themselves when they were kids but it is yeah. what it is you just you learn right? No matter what advice I give to the, your listeners, it's still a school of hard knocks. And you got to develop some common sense. Think about things, actually think about it, put yourself in that position of that person and think, what, how would I want to be spoken to? How would I want to be treated? Yeah, because it, it seems like a, such an interesting concept that I think like gender roles come into so much of it and you would be breaking them down just by force of nature and force of circumstance. Um, but also just uh, knowing you on our, on our calls, how, how much you take that approach to life of, you know, I'm going to run at this thing head on and, and solve it the best way that I know how. Uh, another question I thought was, did it ever occur to you because of having four daughters that you had to model the type of man that they would hopefully want in the future. I know that a lot of 
men can put that pressure on themselves. Did you feel added pressure to be a man of, of extra substance to, to ensure that your daughters were looking for the right man in the future? Or how did you approach that? Hmm. Good question. Did I put extra pressure on myself? I have to think about that. I probably did in some ways, but in other ways, um, I didn't. I was just the most authentic, unique person that I could be to them. And, you know, authenticity, dad stumbles, dad makes mistakes. I'm sorry. I go up and we get into, let's say, a, a kerfuffle and argument and I go up and show them that it's okay to admit that you made a mistake. Hey, I dealt with that incorrectly. Um, you know, I should have dealt with this differently. I, I hope you accept my apology. Here's, you know, now that I think about it, here's what I should have said, or here's what we should do. I give you a bad advice or whatever the case may be. Um, I didn't necessarily sit back and think I need to mold myself into this person so that my kids see the ultimate it just happened. It just un it, it, un it unraveled. I guess the whole not unraveled. It unfurled um, the whole grow, raising them and being that parent throughout the process of raising them from the oldest making mistakes that I didn't make with the younger ones. I didn't really. Now you look back. I look back now and I think about it. My kids got what they needed to get from it. And they'll, every one of my daughters, every one of them has said they, they, they aspire to want to be with somebody that's me. Mm. And it's not because they think I'm perfect, because they knew that I could be vulnerable, I could be genuine, I could be empathetic, and they knew that I would, could be a person that could admit that I effed up, that I made a mistake, and that I could, and, and that I always put, family before everything and that I would always, you know, make sure they were taken care of that I'd literally be that person. And, you know, I remember my back and when I was really young, my parents doing this, not realizing that I picked up on that, there'd be food made. And, you know, my mom would say, Oh, there's one of these left and not realize necessarily that she had ate enough, but her family was number one. I did that with my own kids. There was times that would sit, you know, Hey kids, there's some food up here still. Like you, you know, if you want seconds, you want thirds. Hey dad, you haven't eaten yet. Oh no, I ate earlier. Or I was snacking while I was eating. When in reality, I was hungry, but I wanted to make sure I provided for my kids. Mm. Right. That they were always the number one in my life. Yeah. And that, that's beautiful. What would you say is the number one thing that you've taken away from this whole experience about what it is to be a man? Do you think it's, it's changed your perspective. Do you think you've understood how much gender roles or that old thought of and theory of manhood is supposed to be? Do you think that's changed at all? What, what has been one of your biggest takeaways about what a, a, a true man in, in a, in a quote, uh, quote unquote true man sense would be? Hmm. Um, has it changed my definition? Oh, absolutely. It changed my definition of what a man is defined to be. Um, you talked about gender. I think male, female is, is, yes, we are a male. Yes, we are a female or whatever the case may be. We can have a gender, but it should not define whether or not we can be a proper parent, a good person to others. So my definition of a man is the fact that 
I don't want to be pigeonholed and I'm a fixer that I got to be strong and, and, and stoke and I can't be somebody that can be vulnerable and, and, you know, all the things that are put on a man's shoulders that weigh us down, that force us into quiet desperation. Yeah. My definition of a man of what my dad was as a man and what I believe I am as a man and what a man should be right. Are all based on the fact that I can do everything everything a woman can do a woman can do everything i can do right except on the evolutionary scale they can have a baby but in order to have a baby they need something a man provides right so we work in unison together and then don't think that one is better as a parent than the other the one that works that strives to love their children to be empathetic and, you know, support them, have those sleepless nights it is, is all part of being a parent and sacrificing and investing in our kids is not a male or a female thing. So my definition of a male of what society has defined us to be has been gone for 30 years. Mm. It really has after ha- seeing my daughter and seeing how her mom and her interacted and, I was the person that was the empathetic person. No, she wasn't, but that's wasn't how she was raised. It wasn't in her DNA of what she was, who she was as a person. I was, I had a yin and yang parents. My dad was very staunch. My mom was very, they were that traditional role. And when I was growing up, I look at that and think to myself, when I get older, when I get married, when I have kids, I'm not doing that. I don't like that. So learn, be, learn behavior from being raised to find who I wanted to be as a man even before I had kids. And mm. then that, that evolution of what I think a man should be continued to climb through my marriage and even more so during my divorce. And it continues to be defined and I continue to hone it as a parent of five adult kids and four grandkids now, right? Mm. Yeah, and I love it. I love everything you've said um, during this, uh, this time we've had to share together. So, um, Dwight, I appreciate you so much for taking this time to share. I just had an episode, uh, released about, um, the fatherless epidemic and, and how much that being coming from a fatherless home can, uh, affect young daughters and men. I always love talking with uh, men about what it is to be a father, what it is to be uh, a modern man and, and share those vulnerabilities. So I really appreciate you taking this time with me today. You're welcome. Appreciate you having me on. Hopefully yeah. this resonates with your listeners and it can help even just one person. I, I hope so too. Uh, Dwight, I want to give this time to you now to promote what you got going on in your life, where people can find you. Uh, I know that uh, you do your own work too. Um, so I want to pass the floor over to you and I'll make sure to link all these descriptions or I'll link all the links in the description below of this podcast. Sure. Um, what I've got going on in the last year since the pandemic lockdown, I've rebranded myself. Uh, the listeners can find me. Uh, my website is giveaheck.com you can find me on all major social or part of me all social media platforms um best way though is to go to my website all the links are there you can also check out there's a, a portal tab for my podcast which started in 2020 in november called give a heck uh it's all about you know 
interviewing and having people on that have learned to give a heck about their lives, pull up their bootstraps and pull themselves out of, you know, the sewer into defining their life as servants of others and helping other people give a heck. So that podcast, you can find both on my YouTube channel, Give a Heck. Um, You can also find it on all the podcast platforms. And uh, we're in January right now. And in the next couple of weeks, uh, right toward the end of January, first week of February, my book is coming out. Uh, You'll be able to find that on on Amazon called Give a Heck, Um, helping people live life on purpose and not by accident is the mantra I've been teaching and working with for 18 years and it has become part of my personal brand again that I created um, with some mentorship and help from this last spring so not quite a year ago Um, what else do I got going on yeah I just I have a finance business that I continue to pivot and work on and working on a specific YouTube channel for coaching and mentoring people through a webinar process um but yeah, got lots of things on the go. But the easiest way to check me out, though, is to start out at giveaheck.com. Perfect. Thank you so much, Dwight. I appreciate you. I appreciate your time. I appreciate your message. And uh, again, thank you so much. I appreciate you too, Luke. Thanks so much. Thank you everyone so much for listening to this week's episode of The Imperfect Pod. I hope this helps all fathers, single fathers, mothers, and just everyone who listens to it because I think it's great marriage advice, parenting advice, leadership advice, and just overall advice. Um, so make sure to connect with Dwight on Instagram at giveaheck, on Facebook at Dwight R. Heck, or check out his website, giveaheck.com. If you enjoyed the episode, again, please just take 60 seconds to press subscribe, leave a review, uh, follow. And again, if you'd like to discuss this week's episode with me, um, you can message me on Instagram at The Imperfect Pod, connect with me on LinkedIn or join my Facebook group to continue the conversation. Thank you all so much. And I'll see you all next week for a really big guest who I'm really excited for. Uh, She is the author of one of my favorite books on the topic of masculinity for the love of men. And uh, her episode will be coming out February 3rd. So I'm very, very, very excited about that. Um, Yeah, I'll link that book in the description of this episode too, just in case.